Welcome to Bold Faith with Courage Molina, a place where you get empowered and equipped to be who God has called you to be, do what God has called you to do, and go after everything he said you can have without hesitation or apology. Let's go. All right, let's get into this week's sermon. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Bold Faith Community Church. As you come in, be sure to drop in the chat where you are tuning in from. I am Pastor Courage Molina, and I'm so excited that you would be here with us on this Saturday morning. You really could be anywhere, but you decided to be here with us at Bold Faith Community Church. Absolutely love it. Our mission is really simple, but it is a very powerful mission. It is to share the good news about Christ um, and to guide you in studying the Bible for transformation so that you can experience God's best in every aspect of your life. It is what we do here. It is how we do what we do is why we do what we do because we want to connect you with Christ and we want to guide you in Bible study, right? This is a virtual church. So you're probably wondering how can I become a member of a virtual church? Well, you can go to the website, boldfaithchurch.org and just click on the join button. This is what it means to be a member of the church. Coming to church whether you are watching it live or watching a replay, making sure that you are engaging in the chat, joining us in conversation in the Zoom. We also have Bible study on Wednesday nights. We are here Monday through Friday with mornings in the word, like showing up to church is the way that you can be a member of this church by showing up one, two, by serving. Same website, boldfaithchurch.org. You can find out ways that you can serve even at a virtual church. And last but certainly not least, by giving. Again, on that same website, you can give your tithes and offering. And that is all it is to be a member. Members here are active, engaging contributors. That's really it. It's not, you don't have to go through a class. You just have to show up here and in all the places that we have, right? Well, maybe you ain't got to show up in all the places. But you get what I'm saying. If this is your home, then come on, join us, right? I'm ready to get into this word. I feel like I'm up against a time crunch already and I haven't started. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter one. Um, we're going to be going through verses eight through 15. Oh, I do have an announcement. I forgot. I got one announcement. One announcement. Um, no, that's not it. That ain't it. That ain't the announcement. <laughs> one announcement. Um, I am having a, I guess, a training. I really don't know what else to call it. It's a training. It is for women that are feeling stuck. Um, if you feel stuck in your life, if you're unsure about what God has called you to do or who God has called you to be, guess what? You are not by yourself. I know that you know that probably some of these women in this in this chat know that too. We all struggle with self-doubt and fear and uncertainty at some time in our lives. But guess what? Listen, let me tell you something. I got some good news for you because in my healing journey, I discovered five very powerful keys that have transformed my life and they've helped me to overcome the obstacles that we're talking about. And I want to share them with you. I've been sharing them, but I've been doing these lives and I've get these responses from women saying things like they wish they knew what I did to get here or, you know, can you share with us the steps? And it just was a reminder that even though you feel like you've shared something, 
if everybody that follows you doesn't know about it, maybe you ain't shared it enough. And so I've decided to do this virtual event and it's titled Five Keys to Courageous Living. This is a called woman's guide to overcoming. If you understand that you've been called and you would like to be equipped to overcome the things that stall you, stop you, halt you, prevent you from showing up fully in your calling, then you want to be there. Okay. This is where you want to be because I'm going to be sharing these keys with you. I'm going to be spilling all the tea, telling you all the goods. Y'all know I do not hold back information that I may share, share, share. That's what I like to do. And so that is what I will be doing. I will be giving you everything that I could think of that I used when I started living the life that God intended for me. In this event, in this virtual event, you will learn how to identify your purpose and calling in life. You will get strategies to help you overcome fear and doubt. I'm going to give you tips for building confidence and self-esteem. I'm going to give you some tools to help you set and achieve your goals. And you're going to walk away with practical steps for developing a positive mindset. Listen, if you know anything about me, then you already know this is not going to be some type of generic workshop where I'm not really giving you the details or there's something that's left out. And so you don't really have everything you need. I'm going to give you everything you need. If you show up and you take notes and you execute on the things that I tell you, guess what? You will walk away with everything that you need to slay those fears, doubts, and limitations. Here's the thing. You deserve to live the best life that God has for you. And I am here. God has set me on a mission to help make it happen. You can go to the website bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y backslash. It's all lowercase. Courageous Living 2023. Register for that. It's going to happen on November 20th. It is from 6 p.m. It's absolutely free. Bring a friend, bring 10 friends, bring 20 friends. It's fine. Bring all the women that you know. Now, before you start asking me in the chat, will there be a replay? No, you're, there's not going to be a replay. I'm sure that I'm probably going to record it, but there's not going to be like a replay um, made available. I want you to be live. And the reason I say that is because I need you to show up. The likeliness that you're going to get what you need and follow through. There's also going to be Q&A. So if there's something that you don't understand or something that doesn't make sense, I'm going to be live there right with you. You can ask all the questions that you want. Get all your questions answered. Go ahead and get that. I'll leave that up there um, as I wait for you to turn in your Bibles. Hopefully you're there by now. I'm going to do a little background for us first. Um, but I want you to read with me Romans 1 chapters Romans chapter 1 verses 8 through 15 I'll give a little background I'll let that play out for a little bit and once I get this background done then we'll get into it so this is our third week in the book of Romans and uh, we got to the first seven verses and so I'm just going to give you background on the first seven verses if you missed it last week you can go back I've already created a playlist um, that says Romans Bible study Right. So that way you can find it. The videos are there. They're sorted from oldest to newest. So if you missed the very first video, it is also there. OK, so watch the previous videos if you haven't been here. But I'll give us a little background on the seven verses. This book is a letter and it has it's set up like a letter. It starts out with a greeting. There is this uh, prayer or Thanksgiving. Then there's a body and a closing. 
Paul has already revealed himself as the author of the letter. Not only did he reveal himself by name, he also said who he was and who sent him, what his assignment was, how he sees himself. He also identifies who the letter is to. Um, it's being written to the church in Rome, both Jews and Gentiles, right? He's letting them know all those who know Christ, all those who have decided to follow the way, that's who this is for. And he goes on to greet them warmly saying like grace and peace and that to them, right? And then we, it brings us to, then it brings us to where we are, which is verse eight. I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. I'm going to read it, sorry, in the New Living Translation. So let's get into it. New Living. That's not true. It's not the New Living Translation. I said New Living. It's because when I do Bible reading, I do that in New Living. This is the new international version. This is the NIV, actually. Reading it from the NIV. Sorry, guys. Um, the title is Paul's Longing to Visit Rome. If you have a study Bible, then it usually gives you a title. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am, e I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Amen. We're going to take this nice and slow or kind of slowish, right? So verse 8, let's go back to verse 8. First verse, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Paul tells them how he has been thanking God for them and their faith and how he has heard about their faith. It's spread not really all over the world, but all over the Roman um, Empire. And his word choice is very revealing. He's not just thanking God. He says, um, he says, first, I thank my God through Christ for all of you that that's not that's very intentional i thank my god and it's also very revealing of paul and paul's attitude and so at first glance it seems like if i say my god then maybe i'm implying that it's not your god or we don't share the same god and maybe that wording is chosen to be to be divisive not so in the case with paul his word choice is revealing about how he sees god and his relationship with god it's not intended to divide so he says my god that lets us know that he has a purse a, a close personal relationship that god is his right and when he says through jesus christ it means that he belongs to god he is god's redeemed 
through Jesus Christ, through what Jesus did on the cross. Now, I don't know if you read the Old Testament, but in the Old Testament, a lot of times the Israelites would refer to God by saying things like the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Moses, right? And so there was this small bit of separation between the person who was speaking and the God that they spoke of. It, it kind of gave us the impression that Maybe it was that person's God and not not really their own God. But Paul here is showing us, is revealing to us that there ain't no separation. This is my God. If there is this closeness, maybe with the Israelites, they said the God of Abraham because they hadn't experienced God the way that Abraham had. The Bible talks about how God walked with Abraham and, and God spoke to Abraham and Abraham's faith you know, made him righteous, right? It put him in this right standing with God because he believed God. There was this closeness that they had. There were so many other individuals when they said the God of Jacob, there were promises that God made. There was a covenant that God got into with Abraham. And so maybe those that came after them that were a part of the, um, you know, the Israelites, they hadn't experienced God the way Abraham had. And so it was, well, I know that this is true based on what the God of Abraham, that's Abraham's God. And he is in fact God, but he's more Abraham's God than my God because they didn't have a direct relationship. Well, Paul's saying, first, I thank my God reveals the closeness of his own relationship with God. He speaks directly to him, right? We know that Paul speaks directly to God. We know that Paul hears directly from God. It's his God. This closeness, Paul is saying, was made possible through Jesus Christ. Again, if we go back to Old Testament, prior to Jesus, very few people could have a direct conversation with God. They couldn't look on the face of God. Often you would hear people turn and say, oh no, you know, I've seen the face of God. Now I'm going to die. They would say, no, don't have fear. You know, I'm here with a message or whatever. But prior to Jesus, very few people had the ability, had access, the authority, the closeness, the intimacy of relationship with God so that they could speak to him directly. What we had before Jesus were priests and prophets the prophets heard directly from God, or maybe there was a vision that God gave them directly. And then the prophets would give a message to the people. The people would seek uh, out the prophets to get a word from God, to get direction from God. There were certainly some in Old Testament that were able to speak directly to God. But before Jesus, most had to go through um, somebody else. And even the priests, those that were called to be priests themselves, still could not enter into the presence of God, there was a veil, but the veil was torn with Jesus Christ, right? There was a veil that kind of kept them, but kept the separation, didn't allow them to have this level of closeness that we now have access to because of Jesus. And it's because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus tore that veil. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it also puts us in a place where there's no separation. There's no separation from you, believer, and God. Jesus is with us, and the Holy Spirit is in us. So we went from this, we went from this dispensation of time where if I wanted to get a word from God, I either had to be one of these very special chosen people like Abraham or Jacob or like Moses, or I had to go through Aaron and I had to go through Eli, these priests that were set up. I had to talk to them so that they might speak on God from my, on my behalf, or I had to seek out a priest or seek out a prophet that would bring a message from God. 
once Jesus tore the veil and we had the opportunity to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, that separation is no longer gone. Now, now, not only do we have a God that is for us, not only do we not have a God that is with us, but now we have a God that is in us, right? And this is the thing that Paul is showing us when he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. He is my God. Through Jesus. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, I am I am able to possess him as my own. I don't have to go through Abraham. I don't have to go through Jacob. I don't have to go through the priest. I'm able to keep him as my own. It also reveals to us the way that the way that Paul has given himself over to God. I refer to God as my dad. So if I'm telling him like, well, I'm gonna talk to my dad. They tried me at the bank. I'm like, you know what, what's your name? Cause I'm about to go home and talk to my dad. I'm gonna let my dad know how y'all treated me, what y'all did, how y'all mishandled me. I'm going to take it to my dad. Um, I call him my dad. I didn't always refer to him as my dad, especially as a girl who grew up without a healthy relationship with a father. Um, I didn't have a healthy relationship with my dad, not my real dad and not my stepdad. It wasn't a healthy relationship. So I certainly didn't start out calling God my dad, right? There was this distance. But the truth is, the more that I gave of myself over to God, the less I kept hidden. Um, I'm no longer in a place where I'm going to God and, and I'm not sharing all of myself. I'm now so much more willing. You have to be willing, do you understand, to go to God without pretending to be more mature than you are. Stop pretending to be more healed than you are. Stop pretending um, to be more you know, saved than you are. No, I go to the Lord and there's no shame in his eyes. When I go to talk to my dad, there, there is no shame when he looks at me about, he's not disappointed, right? He's not disappointed in what I've done. He's not looking at me, shaking his head like, oh, I got what I deserved or that's what I get because I did X, Y, Z. He's not sitting around waiting, but you don't get to experience God like the way Paul is describing him. I thank my God. You don't get to experience God. God is not, you don't get God. He doesn't belong to you until you give yourself fully over to him. It's in the giving of ourselves, right? The going to God without being ashamed of what you've done or being ashamed of your struggles because you understand that he loves you and because of how he loves you, right? He sent his son to redeem you. He sent his son to die for you. You've never experienced a love like that. You've never. And that could be why we don't give ourselves. It could be why we hesitate to fully give ourselves over to God. Well, I've been struggling with this for a long time. I've been dealing with this. I should by now. I should be further along. My dad is not talking to me like that. He gathered me, but he's not. He's not talking to me like, oh, my gosh, courage. I'm just so disappointed. Your father in heaven is not does not look at you that way. He's not like, OK, here she come again. It's why we get this description of what it looks like from the, the story of the prodigal son. He was the one who messed up. He was the one who did not appreciate all that the father had done, who didn't want to be in his father's presence. And so he went out because he thought he knew better. And when he finally came back to himself and he decided to go back to his father, the king ran towards him. That is to show us, to give us an illustration of how God feels about us. We are his children. But until you give yourself over to him, 
then you won't know what it's like to have him as your God. We can see that one, not only Paul, not only has Paul given himself over to God, but he is claiming God as his own. His love is not to be condemning. It's a love that is convicting. And so I guess my question for you is he your God? Is he your God? Not your mama's God, not the God of your grandmother, not your pastor's God, right? Not the God of these people that you heard. Some, is he your God? Is it my, I'm having a conversation with my God. I can ask my, I can ask my dad. I can ask my dad for anything I want. Okay. And I do. I can talk to my dad about anything. And I do. I can talk to my dad about everything, big, small, and funny. The question for you, the question that I want you to be asking yourself is, is he your God? Then we go on to verse nine, where Paul says, God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness. How I constantly, how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. So this is verses 9 and 10. Paul is making sure that they understand that he's not just saying, I'm praying for y'all. I'm praying for, oh girl, I'm going to be praying for y'all. And what we're, sometimes we say, I'm praying for y'all. And what we are really saying is, I'm going to keep you in my thoughts. Or I'm going to think about you from time to time. Or I recognize that you need prayer. Or I'd like to be praying for you. A lot of times, especially in, you know, super Christian circles, it's like, I'm praying for y'all. I'm going to be praying for y'all. And that prayer, that, that right there, what you said, I'm going to be praying for y'all, is sometimes the only prayer that leaves our mouth. And so Paul, that's not any different from Paul's day. But Paul wants to make it clear here. He's making sure they understand. He's not just saying, I'm praying for y'all but that they are regularly the subject or the topic of his prayers. He's not saying as God is my witness, tongue in cheek. He's not using this as an exaggeration. He's not using this as an illustration. Paul, who loves God and serves God, who is a very uh, serious man when it comes to the call on his life, would not trivialize God being a witness. Sometimes you will hear people say that as a saying, as God is my witness, I won't rest until such and such and such. Well, that's not really true. You're going to rest. It's just something we say, right? It's just something that people say sometimes. Paul is not saying that. He's not saying it that way. Him using the phrase, God is a witness, is not an exaggeration, but it is. he's entering that in as evidence that he truly has been praying for them and thinking about them, that he has been petitioning for permission to visit them. It seems like at this point, he has reason to believe that his request might be granted. But this is also very revealing about Paul's character and his relationship with God. Isn't it funny how everything we say and or do reveals is character revealing? How we respond, what we say, how we show up, it reveals our values, even if our words don't. We can see 
we can we are paul's character is being revealed to us just through the introduction of his letter right this is no different this is very revealing about paul's character and his relationship with god we can see that he moves according to the will of god and not his own desires no matter how long he's been praying, no matter how often he prays, he has been praying for something. He prays even when it seems like it's a no, but he don't stop praying. Do y'all see that? Let, let me go back to verse. Let me go back to verse nine. Let me see. Um, God, who I'm, mm, 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 God, whom I serve in my spirit and preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. He's been praying for them, sincerely praying for them. Shows us that he's got a prayer life. He's probably got a prayer list that he's praying for, that he is mentioning the church in Rome, right, to God. That he's been wanting to visit them and he's waiting, right? And I pray that now at last, by God's will, not by my own um, doing, not by my own finessing, not by my own strength, not by my own will, but by God's will, the way may be open that I will be allowed to come and visit you. That shows us that he moves according to the will of God. He could have gone on his own. He, he knows how to get on the boat. He's got friends. He knows how to walk. He knows the direction to Rome. He could have gotten there, but it shows us that he moves according to the will of God, not his own desires, because he's saying i've been wanting to come see y'all and i've been praying for a lot it also says that it doesn't matter how long he's been praying or how often he's been praying he doesn't say okay i'm just gonna give up or okay i'm just gonna buck the system and i'm gonna go he continues to pray it shows us that he has a very strong prayer life because he continues to pray even when it seems like a no now i know it doesn't say that but just consider that paul was an actual person and how often he was praying constantly praying for you constantly, remembering you constantly in my prayers and pray that now at last, at last, that word at last, that phrase at last tells us it's been going on for a long time. It's I've been waiting. The food has gotten here at last. You might want to replace that with finally and finally. Etta James said, at last, my love has come along. She's been waiting for a long time. We say at last when we've been expecting and waiting for something for a certain amount of time. It's not a short amount of time. And so you don't think it's a no when you've been praying for something for a few months and the Lord hasn't given it to you? That's just me. You don't, it doesn't feel like a no to you. It seemed like it had to, he's a regular person. He's a human, Paul is. So it had to seem like a no to him. Like maybe God was saying no. He prays even when it seems like a no. Paul, however, somehow knows or understands that not every sovereign no is a permanent answer. I'm going to say that again. Paul somehow has the wisdom the maturity to recognize that every sovereign no, that is a no from God, is not necessarily a permanent answer. 
It's not necessarily the final answer. So while God is saying no and God is sovereign and I'm going to move until he says yes, I don't necessarily believe that the answer, the permanent answer is no. It really is more like a not now. It really more is like a delay and not a denial. It really is like a hold on. It really is like a pause. It really is like I'm developing you. I'm preparing you. So it's a no, you can't go today. No, it's a no in this season, but it's not a no for every future season to come. And somehow Paul has the wisdom or the insight or the maturity to know that. And so my question for you is, how are you moving? That's my first question. How are you moving? Are you moving according to the will of God? Are you moving according to your own will? Are you will, Are you moving according to what God is telling you to do in this season? Are you taking the path of least resistance? Maybe the path of least resistance is what God is telling you, but if it's not, are you moving that way because it's easier to do so? Are you being moved by your fears and your doubts? Are you being moved by what other people are saying? Are you being moved by the desires of your flesh? Who are you listening to, your flesh or your father? What actually dictates your moves? And before you answer, right, I just want you to take some time and survey some of the moves you've made in the last 30 days, some of the moves you've made in the last three months, some of the moves you've made this year, and ask yourself, Am I moving according to the will of God? Am I moving according to the will of my father? Or am I following the will of my flesh? I got some news this week that tr disturbed me. It, it, it agitated me. Uh, it just, it bothered me. It got my flesh going. And there was everything in my body. Everything was telling me to get involved, to make a call to send a text, to get in the car and drive over every single thing in my flesh. My, my mind was saying, go ahead. Just all you got to do is call. All you got to do is send a text message. You know, go over there. Well, maybe you shouldn't go over there, but maybe you should call or maybe you text or like every single thing. And I'm so grateful that my flesh don't move me. Now I'm going to give you a little side note. The reason my flesh don't move me Honestly, because my flesh used to move me and I certainly would have sent a text message at the very, at the very least, I would have allowed my flesh to send a text message or maybe I would have allowed my flesh to make a phone call so I could give full vent to my anger and I could pour that poison out on my friend or a family member and say, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you about this with all this venom and all this spice and all this anger and allowing myself to give full vent to my anger and cursing and things like that. But I'm going to tell you why I did not give in to my flesh. My flesh don't move me. I'm not moved by my flesh. I'm not moving according to my flesh because all year, 2023, I have fasted every single month this year. I have fasted. I never, I know fasting is something we're supposed to do. I could tell you why the Bible says some things only come by fasting and praying. I know what these people say. People say things like, you know, crucifying, crucifying crucifying your flesh and oh but i'm not i was not interested in it this is just i wasn't interested okay but this year um you know the holy spirit led me to fasting i have fasted more this year than i have in every other year combined since i have come to know christ jesus okay that's how much i fasted 
And when you fast from food, I'm not talking about, you know, doing uh, these other fasts y'all out here doing social media fast and that. That's cool. And, and it might be necessary for you to do to get your focus. But that fasting from food, your body, depending on how you fast from food, your body actually throws a tantrum. Your cells, or maybe it's just me. It's just me. Y'all let me know in the chat if I'm the only one. It's just the pastor when she say no to food because of a spiritual discipline that my every fiber of my, I'm starving from the time I wake up. And I'm like, it's okay to be hungry. You do not have to satisfy your flesh. So I have become comfortable with being thoroughly uncomfortable in my flesh. I have become comfortable with being thoroughly uncomfortable. I've accepted it. It's not the end of the world. Uh, it's not the end of my life. This is just for a season. And so as a result, I can now move according to the will of God, according to my faith, according to my father. And I share that with you because if you're saying to yourself right now, no, I give full vent to my anger. No, I don't hold my peace. Yes, I say things that maybe I shouldn't say. Yes, I move prematurely. Yes, I try and figure it out on my own. I try to manipulate the situation or the thing or whatever. If you're saying, mm, Pastor, now that you asked the question, am I moving according to my flesh or my father? I recognize that I've been moving according to my flesh. I don't want you to walk away not knowing how to get that flesh under control so that you can walk according to faith. You can walk according to your father. And for me, what has worked for me, okay? Because I did a lot, I had, I practiced a lot of other spiritual disciplines, silence, solitude, Sabbath, studying, worship. I did a praying. All those spiritual disciplines were great, but guess what? I still lacked self-control when angry. I still, I still lost self-control when I really wanted to do something that maybe the Lord wasn't making a way for me to do. I'm going to just figure it out on my own. I ain't going to wait on God because I'm smart, because I'm educated. Now, of course, nobody's saying that. You're not saying that, but you are saying it with your actions. You're saying it with your actions. And so the only thing that has worked for me to help me control my flesh is fasting. And so fast or don't fast, but I'm telling you, I am so grateful because as you practice the spiritual discipline of fasting, you get your faith gets stronger and stronger and your tolerance for your flesh throwing a tantrum. It's not that you're gonna get to a place where you don't have temptation. It's not that you're going to get to a place where you don't want to do your own thing or go your own way, but that agitation that you feel, that we all feel, we can't get what we want, when we want, how we want it, you will be able to live with that for as long as you need to live with it, uh, in my experience, through practicing fasting, right? And so ask yourself this question, asking yourself this question, how are you moving? What actually moves you? your flesh or your father. And then just looking at this endurance that he had, I want you to ask yourself, how's your endurance for prayer? 
And when I say, how's your endurance for prayer? I mean, how committed to you? How committed are you to praying long-term? I'm praying until. I'm going to pray until something change. I'm going to pray until I get a yes. I'm going to pray until I get this healing. I'm going to pray until I get a revelation. What is your endurance for prayer? What's like, what's your stamina? I'm going to pray for three weeks. I'm going to pray for three months. Will you pray for three years? Will you pray for 30? Right? What is, how is your endurance when it comes to prayer? I'm so excited. Oh, let me tell you all this. I have been praying for years for my family, um, my children. I pray for them by name and for my husband. I have been praying every, I pray, uh, like Paul is saying, without ceasing, remembering them constantly in my prayers. They're on my prayer list. I'm not just saying I'm praying for them. I am praying for them. I'm circling them in prayer. I'm doing a prayer circle. I'm standing in the prayer circle. God, I'm, you know, until you do this for me, I'm going to stand right here, right? Just praying, 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 no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like. I have been praying for my children and my husband for years to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. Years. And over those years, it hasn't really looked like there's been any change. Hasn't really looked like, doesn't look like, hasn't really been looking like we've been getting any closer. I don't even know how the Lord is going to do it, right? But I've continued to pray. And I am so excited to share with you that last week, Sunday, I had the honor of walking my son. Shout out to my son. I had the honor of walking my son through the prayer for salvation. Now, can you imagine how many prayers I have prayed over the years? And when 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 this happens, right, when we walk through this, right, it was uh, obviously I was so excited. I was also in awe. I was also encouraged. It also gave me more fuel, more encouragement to stay on post, to stay on the altar, to stay in my prayer closet for the rest of my salvation hit list, for the rest of my family, for my other two children and for my husband, no matter what it looks like, because I didn't know on what day it would happen. I didn't know in what year it would happen, but I made a commitment to continue to pray until the Lord called me home. What does your endurance look like? Certainly there are probably some areas where you are more committed to praying until the Lord calls you home than others, but I want you to check your endurance this week. What is my prayer endurance like? Well, I've been praying for healing for something they told me there was no cure for. And so after about two years of doing that, after about two months of doing that, maybe you stopped praying, right? Maybe you've been praying for a long time to get out of debt, but it seems like every time you get close to getting out of debt, there's some type of crisis. There's a whole pandemic and then you lost your job or you lost work or you're under you're underemployed, right? Maybe you're working, but you're not making as much as you used to, or maybe your business took a hit. And so it just seems like you're always um, just a few, a few inches away, or maybe it feels like I just keep, I keep moving forward, but I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere with my prayers. I've been praying for this for a long time. I want to encourage you. I want Paul to, I want Paul's uh, words to encourage you that he's been praying for a long time. His prayer has endured for a long time. He's endured um, flogging, beating, being arrested, being stoned, uh, being falsely accused, being imprisoned, Paul being bit by a snake, by a viper, being on a ship, being shipwrecked. 
Paul has survived all these things, and so too has his commitment to praying that he would be able to come and do this work in Rome. And so I wonder what your endurance for prayer looks like. In this verse, we also see that Paul is letting them know that the work that he does is worship. Um, he says, um, whom I serve. This is verse nine. God, whom I serve in my spirit. That's weird wording. Don't you think? God, whom I serve. So he serves God. How? In my spirit and preaching the gospel of his son. That don't sound weird, y'all. Because this this was he's saying I'm I'm praying. I'm he's saying I'm serving. I'm serving God in my spirit. You know, somebody invites you to something, or you invite somebody to come and they're like, Oh, I'm not gonna be able to make it, but I'll be there in spirit. Oh, you invite them to come, you ask them to come help you move. And pack up some stuff and clean your house. And they say, oh, I'm not going to be there, but I'll be there in spirit. Now, let me ask you something. If they're going to be there in spirit while you're cleaning and moving, is that does that actually help you? I mean, is it, are you getting more cleaning done because they there with you in spirit? No, right? That's what makes this weird because it doesn't seem like Paul is doing this in spirit. He's doing this in real life. Paul is preaching the gospel in real life. He's going to churches in different cities in real life. He is using actual words and his action and his body and his life, right? So he really is doing it. He's not doing it in spirit. He's actually doing it. So why say whom I serve in spirit? So why say that? Took me to John chapter four. Let's go over to John. Because my, because listen, I wonder, that's what you got to do when you get in the word. You have got to wonder. I wonder, and that means you got to slow down. I wonder, why is he say, saying, God, whom I serve in spirit and preaching the gospel, when he's actually preaching the gospel? I just, but in spirit. This made me like, okay, I've heard that before. So let's go to John chapter 4, verse 24. This is Jesus speaking. When I hope you get there, uh, say amen. This is Jesus speaking. Um, and Jesus is saying, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Still seems a little weird. In John 4, 24, Jesus is saying, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. I think that worship seems like a very abstract thing. Or not that it's abstract, but like worship seems like, you know, like singing or crying or um, or or both. <laughs> or, pray, or praying or, or sitting. Worship. I'm not, listen, I don't want y'all to take this the wrong way. I just want to really talk about it, okay? Worship seems like whatever you are doing, that the only recipient, the only beneficiary, the only benefactor of worship is God. If you are worshiping 
God, then he is the sole beneficiary, especially if you sing like me. My singing isn't benefiting anybody. <laughs> okay, when I'm in here singing and crying out to God, I'm in here worshiping. That is what I think of, of worship. Is that, am I alone in that? I'm the only person that thinks of worship that way, just, just kind of on the surface, right? Or at least I used to think of worship that way. You think about the worship, we're going to have a worship experience or a worship service. What does that mean? It means we're going to be singing. It means somebody's going, maybe somebody's going to be teaching, maybe. So maybe it's not a stretch, right? Maybe it's not a stretch that preaching could be seen as worshiping. Maybe that's not a stretch because it certainly is not done without the Holy Spirit. And it seems, you know, preaching seems very like a spiritual type of thing, right? Like it's a, it's definitely a church thing. So that kind of makes sense. But what I believe Paul is saying is this service that I'm doing, this service, it's more than just work. It's, it's more than just the work I've been called to do. It's worship. When you think about what it means to do something in the spirit, it means that you are doing it with all your heart, with all your soul, with adoration. It's genuine. It is coming from deep within, right? I'm trying to get back to Romans. It's coming from deep within. It's not just like, oh, I'm just doing this work or I'm doing good work. If I if it's worship, it means that God is at the forefront, that somehow God is not only at the forefront, but my might also be at the center of what I am doing. And I'm doing it from a place of love and adoration. It's coming from deep within, from deep inside me, right? And not everyone who preaches sees it as an opportunity to worship, but it is, I'm going to say that again. Not everyone who preaches, because Paul is talking about preaching, not everyone who preaches sees it as an opportunity to worship. But it's easy to see how someone might consider, how someone might make that connection. I don't think everybody that's preaching sees preaching as worship, right? As worship. Let's just talk like normal people here. But I can see how somebody, in Paul's case, might consider what he does worship. But here's the thing. This like all that we do in word and in deed is to be done unto God in service to him. That means preachers of the gospel aren't the only ones whose work is an opportunity to worship. It also extends beyond employment for the record too, right? So if everything I do, if everything you do is supposed to be done in word and in deed as unto God, everything I say, everything I do, every assignment that I take, every job that I take, it should be done as unto God, then my life becomes worship. Then my if if all the things that I do throughout my day, I think I have God at the center of that thing while I'm washing dishes, just so grateful that God has done this thing for me, that I have dishes to wash, that I have running water from this place of gratitude. I'm washing these dishes, not just because I want to keep a clean house, but I understand that by taking care of and stewarding the blessings that God has given me right down to wiping down the toilet, right? Getting down and cleaning the toilet and cleaning out the tub doing those things with that mindset turns that work into worship 
So even this thing that Paul's saying is not just that his work is worship. It is once again revealing of his mindset and his heart's posture towards God. That means everything. How you're showing up as a wife. The work that you do as a wife, the cleaning, the cooking, the managing, the household, the child rearing, the raising, the bringing together, the coordinating, the following up, the organizing. If we are doing those things as unto God, right, then that turns the work that we do into worship. I want you to ask yourself what your worship is like. Is your worship limited to singing, crying, praying, and solitude? Is your life worship? Is it your goal that your life would be worship? This is not to um, condemn you. Don't listen. Don't let the devil use this to condemn you. This ain't to condemn you, but it is to light your light your soul up a bit for you to consider that there are some areas that you have an opportunity to worship God that you didn't even recognize that you did, right? We're going to go on to verse 11. Mm, my time, my time. Um, Paul continues to say in verse 11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Verse 12, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul tells them he really wants them to know um, that he wants to see them. He really wants them to know, like, I really want to see y'all. I long to see you. He already said that, that I've been waiting. I've kind of been held up. But he's telling them again, like, I really, really wanted to come see y'all. And uh, the reason that I wanted to come is so that I can encourage y'all and I, I can be encouraged by y'all. He wants to encourage them and he expects to also be encouraged by them. Again, Paul's character is being revealed to us here. This character trait that we can see here is humility. His humility is being shown in the way that he expects to be encouraged by them. He knows that he will be a blessing. Okay. He is Paul, the apostle. He already said, what's good? I'm Paul, that dude in verse one. He already introduced himself. He already knows who he is and what he has been called and anointed to do. So he knows that he will be a blessing when he teaches them. He knows that he will be effective. And while he is Paul, the apostle, he can still be encouraged by them. That also reveals to us, or gives us a better understanding of what true humility is. It is not this this humility, being humble, it's not about denying your greatness. He isn't saying that he isn't great, but he's recognizing that he has a room, that it is possible for somebody who may not hold the same office as him to teach him something, to encourage him in some way. He's humble. I wonder if humility, I wonder how humility shows up in your life. Does it show up in its true form? And does it show up in its perverted form, the form that's been kind of handed to us, honestly, this idea that in order for us to be humble or our humility, it robs us of our greatness. 
It robs us of the greatness with which we've been gifted, with which we've been anointed. That is this I that that is this perversion of humility. If I'm humble, then I don't know how great I am. If I'm humble, but I'm downplaying, I'm playing small. Does it downplay? Does your humility lived out downplay your gifts and skills and ability? If it does, it's not humility. It's a lie. It's a lie. If it does, if your being humble means dimming light, pretending not to be the hottest thing since sliced bread that God has created you to be in that space, he created you, he gifted you and skilled you and crafted you and anointed you, right? How can you like, and you've been leaning into that. For years, you've been putting this into practice. For years, you've been doing it for yourself and for your friends and for your family. And so now humility, in order for you to show up humble in these networking spaces and in church and in these friends groups, you out here pretending like you not that chick, but you are? That's not humility. That's a lie. On the flip side of that, has the elevation that God has given you, your experience, your education, your accolades and achievements, has it robbed you of your humility? There was a time where maybe you would have been willing to learn from any and everybody, but not since you got that promotion, not since you launched that business, not since you hit that milestone, right? This... um. This illustration of humility through Paul shows us that it is not, it doesn't do anybody good for us to play small or for us to play our gifts to the left, right? And that while we can recognize and stand in the greatness that God has created us to be, we also, right, can learn from somebody else regardless of their position. Sometimes we only want to learn from people who have achieved at a certain level. That's not what Paul is demonstrating here. He is Paul the apostle. He has apostolic anointing. He heard from Jesus directly. He had an encounter with Jesus and he has been sent out to start churches all over. This Paul is saying, I can't wait to meet y'all who did not have an apostolic leadership so that I can be encouraged by your faith. That's humility. Recognizing that just because God has poured out so many blessings on you, that you still cannot receive a blessing from somebody else. It's also a nod from Paul that recognizes and acknowledges um, the level and the maturity and the genuineness and the pureness of their faith. Because if Paul is saying, not only am I excited to, not only am I excited to come and encourage y'all, but I'm excited to be encouraged by y'all. This is iron sharpens iron lived out right here. That's what he's, you know, talking about, right? Like that's that's what we're looking at here. Right? I can't wait to come so that we can mutually bend. That only happens if we're both iron. So just like a little side note question. It ain't really a main question. It's just a side note question. Are you iron? We out here talking about iron sharpens iron, but friend, are you iron though? Are you in your word? 
Are you studying? Are you growing? Are you practicing the spiritual disciplines that will bring about in you maturity? Not so that you can earn something, but it is through living out the spiritual disciplines that you that your maturity is developed, that you become more and more like Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you doing that on your own? Because if if you are, then then you're iron. And so iron sharpens iron. And Paul is basically saying, I see y'all. And I see what y'all are doing out here in these streets. And I see that y'all's faith is sound, that y'all are not running up behind foolishness. So while I can encourage y'all, I also expect to be encouraged by y'all. Verse 13. Oh, my time. Verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. In order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. He wants to make sure they understand he has been prevented from an outside source, not excuses, from visiting them. That he wanted to do it for them. That he's been wanting to do what he's done for other cities for them as well. That, that they are not outsiders, that he doesn't see them as less than, like, man, I really wanted to come, but all these things kept happening. He's not trying to play them. He wants them to know that he cares about them, too. Now, this is the thing that is beautiful. There's a lesson in relationships in this verse, because even though it wasn't his fault, which he says here, right, he alludes to, um... This is what verse 13, he alludes to the fact that this is actually not his fault. I don't want you to be unaware. I want he said, I want to make sure you know, okay, that I plan, I plan to come so many times, but I have been prevented from doing so until now. And in the Bible, it's written in parentheses. I've really been trying, but some things outside of my control have kept me from doing so. This is a lesson in relationships. Okay, because Paul is communicating his intention, even though his execution has not resulted in what he wanted. Right. Even though he has not been able to execute on what he intended, even though he has some things in his heart and he hasn't been able to do it, he's making it known. He's communicating. This shows us that we need to communicate our intentions, especially when we are able to execute in relationships that matter. You really wanted to attend the event. You really wanted to go to the wedding. You really wanted to be at the baby shower. You wanted to go to the Bible study. You really wanted to be at the retreat. You really wanted to, you know, come and visit and, and be at the dinner. You really wanted to hang out, right? This is a thing. I really wanted to do it. But every time I try and come, something happened. I plan to come and visit you for your birthday, but then I got a flat tire. I, I had this plan. My car was packed. I was ready to go. I bought my plane ticket. I was on my way. I had secured my hotel, but these things came up and I was unable to come. You got to let it be known. I think that his saying this really is an extension of his confidence. Follow me. I'm going to connect the dots. I promise. Think about this. Think about a time where you wanted to do something. You plan to do something. Maybe you even told a person, hey, let's go out to dinner. Hey, I'm going to come visit you for your birthday. I'm going to come to your wedding or your graduation, or I'm going to come and help you move, whatever, right? There was something that you were honest to God in your heart had the intention of doing. 
But then when it was time to execute, you were unable to execute. How do you respond in those moments? How do you respond in those situations? Are you calling them up? Are you writing a letter to say, hey, I really wanted to be there because I care about you so much, but this is what happened. But some, but I was unable, even if he doesn't even tell them what happened, but I was unable to do so. He's communicating. It's, I think it's his confidence because sometimes when we disappoint people or we think we've disappointed a person or we believe that we've let somebody down, we take that on as our character. Right. And so now we blame ourselves and now we are wearing this shame and this guilt and it doesn't even allow us to express ourselves. His confidence or his wisdom or his maturity, whatever this is an extension of, does not allow him to blame himself. He is not a victim. He does not see himself as a failure. And because of this freedom, it allows him to express himself. It allows him to express. Right his love and his care for them, that this situation is not a reflection of his heart. And by being able to communicate, it disrupts any narrative that the enemy is saying to the person on the other side, whatever narrative that the enemy is offered, right? Because when you say you're going to show up and you don't show up, the enemy is happy to show up in your absence and tell them why you didn't come because you don't believe in them. You don't support them. You don't love them. Uh, because they're not important to you, because you don't care about their feelings, because you don't value the relationship. The enemy is happy to show up and have a conversation when you have not been right. When you don't when you are too busy beating yourself up because you haven't called that friend in a long time or because you missed out on a graduation or a wedding or um, a baby shower or a grand opening to a restaurant or whatever it is you missed out on. But you had the heart to be there. You've been saying for years that you were going to visit them. and You just haven't gotten around. You just hasn't happened. Something's always coming up. And now you feel this guilt and the shame. You don't say anything. Guess what? The enemy is saying so. And so Paul is showing wisdom. He knew what it looked like. He considered how his not going. Now, he didn't been everywhere else to all these other churches, but he ain't been over here. He considered how it might appear to them and wanted to affirm them and let them know that they are indeed important to him. That there is this place of importance, there is this place of, of, of endearment that they have in his heart. And so I wonder, have you considered what your inability to show up might be communicating to someone? Not We're not talking about being unwilling, because he makes it clear. It's not that I'm unwilling. I want to come. But every time I try and come, something outside of my control prevents me from doing so. Have you considered... And it's because the reason he communicates this is because in his wisdom and his maturity and his confidence and his love for them, he has considered what his inability to show up might be communicating to them. And he cared enough to address it. Or if you're thinking about it right now, maybe it's exposing your identity issues because Paul knows exactly who he is. I am not a flake, right? 
Um, I was supposed to go and see my nephew graduate from Air Force basic training. And I love my nephew. So proud of him. <laughs> so proud of you. And this, he's probably not going to see this, but your auntie's so proud of you. He already knows this. And so I have been saying I was going to go. I told him I was going to go. I made plans to go. Guess what? What Paul said? I was prevented from doing so. <laughs> okay. I planned to go. I was prepared to go. I wanted in my heart to go to his graduation, y'all. But I was prevented from doing so. And I considered what my inability to go might communicate to him. And I cared enough to call. Do you know why? Because I know who I am. And I happen to be an awesome aunt. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like one of the best aunties on the planet, guys. Okay. I'm a great aunt. I my my inability to execute on something that my heart intended to do because of my love for him did not turn around. I didn't turn that around on myself and say, well, I feel guilty or I'm blaming myself or this is unfair that this has happened. And so now I'm over here sulking, just allowing the enemy to say something to No, the enemy is not going to be speaking on my behalf when I fail to show up, when I'm unable to be there. No, absolutely not. And when I called him and I talked to him, he was like, he understood, you know, that I wasn't able to come. And I'm like, good, you know, your auntie loves you. I was like, well, I knew you would be okay, but I just wanted to make sure because I got a good track record, you know? I know who I am as an aunt. I know who I am as a friend. I know who I am as a wife. I know who I am as a pastor. Do you know who you are as a friend, as a wife, as a mom, as a sister, as a cousin, as a niece, as a granddaughter? Like, do you know who you are? Because when you know who you are, you don't get confused. You don't confuse your identity with your inability to do something with dropping the ball, with making a mistake, with like, oh, I know who I am. So let me call you and let you know, hey, let me write you a letter. Let me send you a text and let you know. And if you're thinking about it right now, maybe this is good. Maybe it's exposing some identity issues. Maybe you don't, you still don't fully know your value as a friend. Maybe you don't still fully know your value as a wife as a sister, as an auntie, as a cousin, as a husband, if your men are watching this, right? As a brother, as a, as a dad, maybe you don't fully understand your value and you think that you are defined by your ability to execute what you can't do. You feel like you're now who you are is what you couldn't do, you know? And that's just not the case. But I want you to take some time to consider it because sometimes the word, oftentimes for me, I can speak for y'all, but oftentimes studying the word, I will get a revelation that will expose a lie that I've allowed to live in my heart. And now I'm operating from that lie. And that lie is producing fruit in my life, right? Believing that I'm not enough, I'm not good. That lie is producing, is producing some type of fruit. It's toxic fruit. It ain't no fruit you want to eat, but it's producing fruit in my life, right? So sometimes it's about exposing. But I wonder, have you considered, and some of y'all need to make some calls today. I don't know who, okay? Some of y'all need to make some calls and some text messages. And when you call them, say, hey, I was in church today 
and the pastor was talking about something real good and it made it put you on my mind and so i just wanted to call you and let you know you remember that time because you just don't just because they haven't said anything don't mean it they don't mean they ain't feeling away don't mean they ain't thinking something right we just don't know where people are in their levels of maturity their levels of healing right we just don't know and so don't leave it to chance call some people there's somebody you need to call i don't know who that's for there's somebody that you need to call let them know how much it means to you apologize let them know hey i really do and paul does not explain what happened okay he doesn't say well i got beat and i got kicked and i got this and i got that he doesn't say that i was prevented so i'm not even telling them saying you got to tell them exactly what happened hey I just want you to know that I really wanted to be there for you, that I really wanted to spend time with you, that I really wanted to do this, but I was unable to do so. But it's not because I didn't want to be there. It's not because I don't value our relationship, your business, your whatever, right? Let it be known. These are our last two verses and then we're gonna get out of here. Verse 14. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul's been assigned to all non-Jews to preach the gospel. It's what he owes them. It's what he it's what he owes. It's a, it's not what he owes them. It's what he owes. Uh, and he's not just willing but he is eager to do it. So let's just look at some of these words real quick. Greeks, really when he's saying Greeks, he's not necessarily just saying people who are from Greece. He's really uh, probably talking about people who are educated, civilized, and then barbarians is basically everybody else. That's also how the Greeks saw themselves, like we Greeks, everybody else, y'all barbarians, right? Um, and then he does this contrast too. He's also been sent to the wise. And this is, not just people who are smart intellectually, but people who have a knowledge of God and to fools, not to people who might have some type of academic struggle um, or people who are rebellious, but to people who are ignorant of God. Right. So I've been called to those who are educated and civilized and people who are not educated and people who are not civilized. I've been called to those who have a knowledge of God. And for those who are ignorant of God, this pretty much covers everyone. And when we see the word Gentiles, that is really talking about people group. That word Gentile is translated to nations, groups of people, people groups, right? And he's saying that he's covering all his bases. This includes people that some might feel are beneath them, right? And even though he's been called to serve people who others might feel are beneath them, Paul isn't reluctant. He is eager. It means not only is he willing, he is ready. It reveals once again his heart. He is excited about what God wants him to do. He is excited about what excites God. And people coming to know Christ, both Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian, wise and foolish, that excites God. And Paul is excited about it too. He's excited to get to his, to his assignment. He it says he's obligated. He uses that I am obligated both to Greeks. Who does he owe? And why is he, here comes my questioning, right? Why does he feel obligated to them? Like, who is he indebted to? He is indebted to Jesus. He's not indebted to these Greeks. He don't owe them. You don't know these folks. These people that he's been called to serve, he don't owe these people. They ain't did nothing for him. 
the debt. He's he's indebted to them because of God, because what God did out of love by sending Jesus to die on the cross, that is a debt that Paul realizes he could never repay, but out of love. So he's not even trying to pay God back, but out of love and appreciation for what God did for him on the cross, for what God did um, to him on the road of Damascus, what God is doing through him as he is out planting these churches, right? It reminds me, it reminded me of when I used to ask my kids to do stuff, okay? I used to ask them, like, somebody picked that up. So it was nobody's responsibility. And I didn't assign it to anyone. I would just say, somebody pick it up. And the three of them would be looking at each other like, well, you should pick it up because it's your week in the kitchen, right? It would kind of start this conversation. Well, you pick it up, you the closest. You pick it up, I didn't do it. I didn't drop it. I would say, hey, pick that up and throw it. Oh, I didn't do that. And I would tell them this. <laughs> I would tell them this. I would be like, first of all, when I said pick that up, everybody should have been jumping out their seat. Okay? Everybody in here sitting over there, when I say pick that up, should have been jumping out their seat to come and get this thing for me. The way I cook for y'all, the way I take care of y'all, the way y'all should have been hopping up. Because y'all could never repay me for what I had to. Y'all should have been hopping up to get that bag up off the floor and throw it in the trash, right? And they just, you know, they just didn't get it. And it's fine because that's how kids are, right? It's fine because that's how kids are. But Paul, who is a child of God, recognizes that the God who has sent him on this mission to the Greek and the non-Greek, to the Jew and the Gentile, is the same God who sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. He recognizes, I owe God a debt I could never repay. And so I'm handing my life over to him to do whatever it is he wants me to do. Do you owe God is the question. What's the least that you could do? What has he called you to do? What is your attitude towards it? God has called you to do something. God is calling you, prompting you, pushing you. You know what the assignment is. You know in your heart exactly what it is, but you haven't been doing it. What is the least that you could do for God? What is it that he's calling you to do? And not just that, but what is your attitude? We see Paul's attitude towards his assignment. I am so eager to come and do this thing too. He's sitting on the edge of his seat. I cannot wait to come and do for y'all what God has called me to do. Right. All the launches, the promotions, the lives, the emails, the speeches, the talks, the podcast, um, the packages, whatever it is that God has called you to do. All the prayers. What I don't even know what the Lord is, but whatever it is, all these things that God has called you to do. It's the least you could do for those of us who know Christ. Are you eager to do this thing? Right. Are you eager to do it? What's your attitude towards your assignment? I know that my attitude toward, I'm so grateful. Oh, God, I thank you. My attitude towards my calling wasn't always like Paul's. Now I'm eager. So I'm, and I've been eager for a minute. Somebody want to send me? I'm going to go. You want me to teach Bible somewhere? I'm, I'm going to teach Bible. What you want me to do? You want me to do it over here? You want me to do it over I'm eager to do it. It wasn't always like that. And it ain't. it hasn't been that way in every area. But growth and maturity is knowing where we where we need to be getting to, right? What does growth and maturity look like? It looks like not sucking my teeth every time my dad asks me to do something. 
Every time my dad asks me to show somebody some grace and some love who don't deserve it, not sucking my teeth, but but celebrating, right? Not sucking my teeth, but celebrating that I have an opportunity to show my gratitude to God by showing grace to somebody else. Come on, just I know we got to get out of here. Listen, maybe you don't owe God. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you don't owe God anything um, at this particular time because, you know, um, you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. You haven't accepted him yet. So you haven't accepted the gift. So you are still, you know, on a one way track. It's actually five ways, a billion ways that you can get there. You know what I'm saying? To a life that is separated from God um, for eternity. So maybe you don't owe him yet because you don't know him, but I want to help you get to know him. Now, the word of God says that if you believe that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, that Jesus died, buried, and that God raised him to life, if you believe that and you want to follow his way, his life, you want to model your life after him. You want him to not just be your savior, but you want him to be your Lord. If you believe in him and you call on him, then you'll be saved. Repeat after me. Father, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe that you raised him from the dead. I now accept him as my Lord and savior. I accept the gift of salvation right now. Thank you, Father God, for forgiving me, for saving me, and giving me an eternal life with you. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you said it and you believe it, that settles it. I am so excited to uh, welcome you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Okay. <laughs> welcome to the family of God. We're so excited to have you here. Listen, fam, come right on in. Um, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love to hear from you. Send us an email at praise at boldfaithchurch.org. And let us know. We want to connect with you. We want to get some resources in your hand to help you as you start on this faith walk. It is an individual decision, but it's not something that you've been called or that God expects for us to do in isolation so that you can get connected. Go ahead and send us an email. Now, if you have chosen for Bold Faith Community Church to be your home, this is your home church, and you want us to know that, we would love to hear from you. Praise at boldfaithchurch.org so that we can help you get connected and show you how you can start to serve. If this message has blessed you, and you want to be a part of what God is doing in and through Bold Faith Community Church, then you can pay your tithes and offering at boldfaithchurch.org. You can go ahead and go over there and do that now. You can do a one-time um, donation, or you can set up reoccurring giving to pay your tithes and your offerings. I absolutely am so excited. Now, listen. Y'all know this is not it. If you liked anything about this sermon, go ahead and do me a favor and uh, like this video. If there is anybody in your life that you would like to encourage, go ahead and share this video. And if you haven't made this channel your home, a part of like what you're doing, what you're doing, boss, go ahead and hit the subscribe button here at Bold Faith Community Church. We are more than a channel, baby. We are a community. And so, you know, that means we are not yet finished. I know I have so gone over in my time. I want you to still 
Take some time to come and join us in the community. You can go to boldfaithchurch.org and hit join. It'll bring you, it'll give you the Zoom information so you can join us in Zoom. It's also pinned in the comments. I was sure to pin it at the start of the sermon today. So it's pinned in the comments and um, come join us. I will see you inside the community. All right. As always, thank you so much for joining us here at Bold Faith Community Church for our virtual church service. Cannot wait to connect with you in the group. All right. Love you. See you in a minute. If this episode has blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else so that you too can be a blessing. If you'd like to connect with us and help us to do the work that God has called us to do, you can give at boldfaithchurch.org. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at boldfaithchurch and connect with me at Courage Molina. Thanks so much. Be sure to catch the next episode right here.